You're listening to the Townsville Chamber cast. Essential information, ideas and news that matters to the business community of Townsville. Once again, congratulations. Highly uh, successful breakfast this morning uh, down there at the Ville and um, I, I really do appreciate you coming into the studio. I know you sat up all last night uh, as it's being handed down, but um, the devil's always in the detail. There's always heaps of questions about the budget and, and I just really appreciate you, you coming in and, and letting us bounce off each other and, and having a little bit more of a conversation about it. Um, I mean, Josh Frydenberger opened last night. He, he talked about a stronger economy, uh, a stronger budget, $100 billion better off than last year. Um, more people in work, less people on welfare addressed inflation a couple of times not a lot i don't think but but you know there is an election coming up so it was a tightrope that they were going on but um and andrew i always love to sort of cut to you at the start you you open the batting down at the breakfast every morning after there's a bit of a disturbance with someone telling jokes but um mate tell us a little bit about how you saw the budget and and give us a little bit of an overview of where we're at yeah thanks ross i think uh probably in summary it's a typical pre-election budget so there were no nasties, no new taxes, as the Treasurer told us a number of times last night, uh, which is positive as an accountant. We're, we're sick of change, to be honest. We're, we're still grappling with all the changes that have been announced over, over recent years. So no change is, is good for us. And I think it's good for the economy as well. Uh, gives the business community a bit of certainty as to, to what the rules are going to be. So there were some sweeteners there. Obviously, there's been a lot of publicity around uh, cost of living, and price of fuel, so there were some sweeteners there for the for the electorate. Um, handouts, two hundred and fifty dollar handouts to uh, to welfare recipients, um, etc. There's about six million people who will benefit from those handouts. So, whilst individually they're not significant amounts across the broader economy, that's a lot of stimulus that's still going to be injected into the economy over the coming you know, months. Fuel excise, there's there's been some uh, reductions there. Uh, a lot of people probably don't realise that for every litre of fuel you buy, you're paying 44 cents in fuel excise that goes straight to the government. So for the next six months, they're going to halve that fuel excise. So 22 cents should be reduced off the, the uh, price of every litre of fuel you buy. So those sort of things that, that help uh, with cost of living. And that's all been able to be done because the economy is strong. So I think that's probably the big takeaway from, from the budget for me is that we do have a really resilient economy. 18 months ago, when we had a, a previous budget, it was a very different situation. Um, you know, we had international borders closed, we had state borders that were closed, uh, cities in lockdown, a lot of businesses closed or just relying on JobKeeper and other government handouts, high unemployment, commodity prices, you know, falling. You know, some really uncertain times, whereas last night the Treasurer announced really positive economic conditions. So real GDP growth this year of over 4%. We haven't seen that for, for a long, long time. The flip side of that is that CPI and inflation is starting to go up as well. So so that's expected to be a bit over 4% this year as well, which is why we've got those cost of, cost of living pressures. Unemployment, you know, a couple of years ago it was at 7%. This year it's going to be, you know, 4%. And next year it's expected to be below 4%. So we haven't seen those levels of unemployment, you know, since the early 70s. And it's not because people aren't working or don't want to work. We've got, you know, some of the highest participation rates that we've ever had as well. So anyone who wants a job 
can have a job at the moment. Yeah, I, I know. I, I listened to a couple of other commentaries around this, and there was sort of the things like, oh, of course unemployment's low, the borders are shut. But no, that was really beaten down very quickly by this incredibly high participation rate, I think over 60% or 60.4% at the moment. And that has, I believe anyway, such net benefits through, you know, we can talk about that obviously people are contributing, so they're paying tax, but they're also not relying on welfare. But but also they get job satisfaction, they get uh, to buy the nice thing that they want to get. They It, it just flows on so well, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, it's good for your mental health to be yep. out there meeting people, interacting. So yeah, it's good for all parts of the economy. Uh, and, and that's a big part of, of why the economy is so strong at the moment. Plus the fact that you know commodity prices are you know almost record highs. So no doubt that that's played a big part in the uh, the, the fact that the government's got some money. Well, I say they've got some money to spend. <laughs> they're, they're spending that in more as well. Um, but commodity prices are certainly helping. Yeah, you know, with the uh, the level of company tax and, and company profits. Yeah, and I know the company tax rate. Like I know that's this is not a new announcement. It's probably a good reminder, but for for the SMEs, that's that's dropping down now to twenty five percent. Yeah, that's right. So yep. for the twenty twenty two year, companies that are turnover less than fifty million dollars, if they're an active business, then they'll pay twenty five percent tax rate, flat tax rate. Yeah. So. Yeah, and Carl, your sort of initial thoughts of it, your your bit of a bit of an overview. I know you you obviously come in at number three uh, at the breakfast and and fill us with all sorts of uh, interesting facts and obse- observations. And I think we'll get to that a bit later in the podcast. But have you got a, a sort of a, a an off the bat sort of feeling about it? Well, just listening to Andrew talk, then the the economy is so strong, one does need to reasonably question why the government feels the need to deliver an eighty billion dollar deficit. Uh, the economy is in good shape, and but for the election and the potential uh, small majority in parliament, if not a defeat uh, at the next election, it's probably prompted the government to take some actions that they may not have done had it not been an election year or had they been going into an election with a really strong majority. Yeah, so I mean, um, I, I think it'd be naive to think that the budget wasn't going to be handed down with with some of those things, but you're dead right. And I mean, we had our uh, candidate spate the other week and I know one of the questions was, should we be doing three or four year terms? And I guess that's a rabbit warren we could we could obviously go down, but we'll probably try and talk about the budget more more holistic today. So but we mentioned cost of living and that little bit of, there is some, some middle income tax breaks there as well coming through um, in this budget, uh, Andrew? Yeah, so the, the main effect there is in the, the low and middle income tax offset. So there haven't been any changes as far as individual income tax rates, and there won't be for another two years at least. But that low and middle income tax offset, which previously was at $1,080, and that sort of phased out once you earned $120,000 of income, that's been extended this year to be $1,500. So they've, they've put another four, $420 onto that offset. So effectively, if you earn up to $126,000, then you're gonna get a refund, an extra refund, when you lodge your return this year of $420. And, and that's um, that's multiplied with couples, I take it? Yes. Yeah, yeah okay. That's right. It's per person. Per person, righto. So that's, you know, that's up to $3,000 there. And I know uh, we were sort of texting this morning around, you know, Townsville's population now cracking over 200,000, about 96,000 or 91 to 96,000 people employed here in Townsville. And people were crunching the numbers on, on what that would actually mean for our city. 
Um, and it, it was substantial. It sort of come in between about the 80 and, and 120 million mark, depending on, you know, how much and who was earning earning what. And and I guess what we analysed from that, and, and I know we've sort of spoken about this off air, is if consumers are confident, and I know your surveys are saying businesses are confident, so consumers are spending and the velocity in which they're spending, um, that's a good little boost for our local economy here, another $100 million circulating as quickly as it can, say, after July to October, towards the end of the end of this year? Yeah, definitely. And you throw in the $250 one-off payment, you th- throw in the fuel excise that isn't going to go into the government. Individually, for each individual, it might not be a lot, but mm. when you quantify that over the, the, the broader community, it's a huge amount of money that's extra to be able to, to flow around. And we know that it doesn't just flow once. It goes to a business who then goes and gives that to their employee, the employee then goes and spends it at the shop and, and it just multiplies. So, yeah, it's a huge, huge flow-on factor. Yeah, it definitely shouldn't be underestimated. And, and I guess the only message we'd probably send as a chamber is, is you know, spend as much of it locally as you can so you get that multiplier effect and, and, and think about your purchasing behaviour when you when you do get this back in your bank account. And spend it, Carl. Absolutely. Uh, we have seen high levels of household savings. So we'd like to think that with greater confidence in tenure of employment, and that does come back in part to business confidence. So with business confidence at 15-year highs and a good pipeline of work in front of a lot of local businesses, hopefully employers are feeling secure in their future income streams, which in turn leads their employees to feel, well, actually, I do have a job here for the next couple of years without any problems. So Mm. hopefully that helps the household purse strings open up a little bit more. Um, Albeit in a time of higher prices generally, the household budget does not go as far as it used to. So important to be spending it well. And as you said, Ross, spending it locally, you can't do much better for our local economy than supporting local businesses with your discretionary spend. Yeah, so I mean, it's probably a good little segue into into small to medium-sized businesses as well. There, you know, I, Josh Feinberg, and he, I think he said it last year, and he mentioned it again this year. You know, he said they're the powerhouse of the economy. They they employ eight million uh, Australians, uh, our small businesses. So, so what did they, um, what did they sort of get? I guess. Um, in this budget, we touched on the lower tax rate, the 25% uh, company rate. Anything else in there, Andrew, for, for the SMEs? There wasn't a lot, to be honest, Ross. Mm. Uh, there's a tax deduction that they've confirmed. So if you had to spend money uh, to get a COVID test to attend a place of work, then they've confirmed that that will be tax deductible, whether that's for the employee or for the employer. So not a big issue, but I think it just takes away some uncertainty. Definitely uh, not a fringe fringe benefit is it it shouldn't be no <laughs> <laughs> the the two changes that they did announce for businesses with turnover of less than 50 million dollars were around training and uh, costs for adoption of digital technologies so basically they're going to give you 120 percent tax deduction if you spend money on training or adopting digital technologies uh, with training it runs for the next two years up to june 2024 and for the digital technologies, it's up to June 2023. Um, the catch, I guess, with the training is that it has to be external training and it has to be with a registered training organisation. So you wonder why, you know, we, we're trying to encourage people to train staff. You know, why do they put these sort of hoops uh, and, and, and roadblocks in the way? Um, but it is what it is. So at the end of the day, an extra 20% tax deduction sounds great, but 
at a 25% tax rate, it's really only a tax saving, an extra tax saving of 5%. Mm. So you spend $1,000 on training and you're going to save an extra $50 in tax. Mm. So instead of saving $250, you're saving $300. Yeah, and and that's why we love bringing you in, Andrew, because the the devil's always in the details. And it sounds very good on the night, but um, in reality, and and you know, I I, I don't know, Carl, you might sort of have a, a view on this too. Like we talk about the behavioural change of employers and and how they're going to treat their staff, and this this probably isn't going to have the desired effect that that originally thought. No, I don't think it's a, a meaningful enough level to encourage additional training. Uh, what I think will drive additional training is the tightness in the labour market. Of course. So I'm not able necessarily to find new employees with the skills I really want, so I'm going to have to better develop the employees I currently have. Um, there's probably a couple of other things for our, our local businesses to think about from prior budgets as well that are still in place. So um, just before the budget, they have extended the uh, temporary full expensing of assets, the instant asset write-off. So that's available now through until June 2023. So that's still a benefit uh, previously announced, but of good value to local businesses. And the other thing in combination with that is the ability to carry back tax losses. So normally you can only carry them forward, but you can actually carry them back. So if you incur a loss in say the 2022 financial year, but paid tax in 2021, perhaps you incurred that loss in 22 because of the instant asset write-off, you can take that loss back and get a refund of some of your taxes paid from last year. So that that is of benefit and business owners should be across those things and, and talking to their tax advisors to make sure they don't miss out. Yeah, and, and I know, I, I mean, you know, when that instant tax write-off came in, I think we were at about 30,000. Everyone thought that was good and was trying to manipulate stuff around there. And then yeah. I, I do know we got a, a massive boost from from that sort of behaviour. But that certainty, that's the whole thing, the certainty and, and the the behaviour change, the confidence comes into it. Yep, I'll, I'll buy a bit more plant and equipment. I can write that off. I can, I can build something. And it, it really did have a massive effect. So that's a really great one to see moving that's forward. So. And I, I think some of the other things employers should be thinking about, um, the, the super guarantee rate is going to go up on the 1st of July to 10.5%. Yep. So likely that a lot of employers don't actually pass that on as a cost to their employees. It's an extra cost to business owners. So there's a half a percent pay rise for most employees straight away. Uh, but again, in the tightening labour market, I think we are going to see wage pressure. And certainly we're seeing in our own business and with clients that wages are likely to increase. So there's some good opportunities for businesses in terms of uh, projects and some tax concessions, but it is going to be a high high business cost in terms of wages coming up, I feel. And, and just on that super, Andrew, you, you made a good point too and, and I mean this is this is not not something new uh, but something you know you got to probably repeat a couple of times to make sure people are aware of it. the, the threshold, the monthly minimum payment now is also changing. Yeah, so at the moment, if you've got an employee who's earning less than $450 in the month, you don't have to pay superannuation for them. You can do if you want, but you don't have to. Come 1 July, that exemption's gone. So if you've got an employee who is only working part-time, casual, earning you know, two or $300 for the month, you're going to have to start paying the 10.5% super for them. So again, that's an extra 
um, payroll costs that your business is just going to have to factor in. Yeah, um, and I mean, it's it's probably interesting, you know, we start talking about super, we start talking about compliance and businesses having to have people there to, to work out all the different tax rates and all the things and, and you know, payroll is one of our biggest uh, biggest bugbears. It's it's just such a, it's, it's such a fundamentally silly, structurally demoralising tax. I don't know, we've got probably other words for it. Um, I prefer the word abhorrent. Abhorrent, yes, that's a good one. All right, I don't mind that. Um, and and there was, um, I know, Carl, we talked about it last year, obviously looking at how payroll tax is collected, seven different um, jurisdictions collecting seven different ways of getting information from businesses if you cross jurisdictions and you're all reporting to one single place for your single-touch payroll. There's been a little bit of movement there. The, are the states talking to the feds or are the feds going to talk to the states? How's this going to work? Uh, so announced last night is going to be more data sharing from the federal government, yep. or more particularly the ATO to state revenue offices. So currently, uh, actually it has changed recently again, almost all employers now have to report wages data to the ATO using a single touch payroll system, STP. And it was announced in the budget last night that that STP data is going to be shared with state revenue offices. Um, I think it was presented in the budget, Andrew, as a a nice thing that uh, this will actually help businesses comply better with their payroll tax obligations, but um, there's a, a different side to that potentially. Yeah, the spin they put on it is that it's there to help businesses pre-fill their payroll tax forms. Uh, the cynical accountant in me says it's there <laughs> as a data matching exercise, so the state payroll tax officers will know in real time what your payroll is, and so if you're not paying payroll tax and they think you should be, you'll be getting a letter from them is effectively you know, what will happen. And we've seen that with the way that the, uh, the tax office uses single touch payroll to check up on superannuation guarantee compliance. So the amount of information that the, the regulate, regulatory abilities have is it's much greater than it's ever been before. Yeah, so yeah, don't, don't put it on Facebook, but it won't matter because the ATO will, or, and, and the states will now know about it as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, don't take a pit, too big a picture of a too big a team is what the, <laughs> uh, uh, break them up into smaller things. But uh, while we're talking about the states and the, and the federal government and sharing information, there, there was another thing in your presentation, Andrew, around, or, or might have been yours, Carl, around the, uh, the tax avoidance task force now that doesn't sound very nice at all um and they, they've been given um now my fingers i hope they're right 650 million dollars but they've got kpis attached to that uh to that money tell us a little bit about about that yeah well, this is an extension of a program that started two or three years ago where the government gave the tax office a billion dollars uh to create this task force and it's it's aimed at multinationals, which we don't have too many of, but more importantly, large family groups, um, high net wealth individuals and trusts in particular. And the KPI that they set back at the start was that for every dollar that the government gives the tax office, they expected to see $4 for the tax office to give back to the government. So with 650 million extra going to the, the tax office last night, they're expecting just over $2 billion of additional revenue to be generated out of that out of that activity, and, and we're already seeing it. So we're seeing more activity, more reviews, more audits, um, particularly in those sort of taxpayers. Uh, if you've got a capital gains tax event with small business CGT, you're almost guaranteed to get a review. Um, 
and they're ramping up their activity uh, in the area of trusts. So things that we've never really seen the tax office attack before, they're, they're looking at. And it's not based on any changes. The treasurer when it was at pains last night to say that there's been no new taxes, and there hasn't been, but it's based on the tax office maybe changing their interpretation of the rules. Um, and you could say it's because of this you know, KPI that they've got to deliver a return on the money that the government's given them. Yeah, right. So, um, you know, obviously a, a little bit of, I think the way you worded this morning was a little bit of caution if you are in those areas and, and making sure your, your ducks in a, in a row. Yeah, I think a lot of taxpayers, you know, in history have gotten away with things because the tax office just didn't have the resources to check every return. Self-assessment, you lodge a return, the tax office issues the assessment based on what you lodge and then it was up to them to then go and audit you. They didn't have the resources, but now with computers, with single touch payroll, much more uh, data matching, the tax office know a lot about your business before you even lodge your return. Mm. Yeah, so the, the days of just um, managing to, to hide things from the tax office are gone. You know, plus the fact that there's much less cash going around the economy so mm. more and more money is going through bank accounts. The tax office have acti you know, access to all of that. So it's much harder to, to hide things. Yeah, and it's probably a good, you know, it's probably a good segue into your um, presentation too, Carl. I mean, um, the, the other side, I mean, a, a, another deficit um, with this budget, I think about 80 billion um, and, you know, a forecast of deficits up until 2025, is that right? Uh, well, at least 26. 26, yeah, okay. So, um, you know, uh, debt sitting at around about a trillion dollars and I know you had some points on this this Carl yeah. so um, there's only one way from to bring it down or a couple of different ways and and obviously we're talking about the taxation but yeah how, how do you see that Carl? Well just to reflect back on taxation for one moment mm. I it's really important that the ATO does properly police the tax law mm. we're not saying that for a minute um, Andrew gave the example around single touch payroll and the ATO now being able to identify where superannuation is not being paid in a timely manner or at all. Uh, it's a common complaint from a lot of our clients that they are doing the right thing, paying their employees super regularly, but their competitors aren't. Mm. And their competitors can charge a lower price because they're not doing the right thing. So I think those sort of activities are great. It creates a level playing field and ensures everyone is playing fair mm -hmm. and do, paying their fair share. That's critically important for our economy. And where that then feeds into this debt situation is that we need good relationships between the revenue authorities and those who pay taxes because that will encourage more compliance. So if people are doing the right thing, they should have no reason to fear the ATO or officers of state revenue. They shouldn't fear data matching. But if you've been running your business because you can hide things, then yeah, you should expect some adverse outcomes into the future. But um, I'll get off my soapbox on that. I feel quite strongly about that because it's not right that uh, we do the right thing, but others get away with doing the wrong thing because ultimately those who comply end up paying more and that's not good for anybody. So everyone do the right thing, please, and pay your fair share. <laughs> um, but back to debt. Yes. So, uh, yeah, uh, the... The Ford estimates do show that the, the gross public debt, so the value of Australian government securities on issue to pay for budget deficits, will go over a trillion dollars in 2024. 
So that, that's a staggering number. That's a thousand billion dollars. That's a lot of billions. Um, and associated with that is an interest cost. So we're now seeing that the, the annual interest cost on our, our public debt, so this is interest that we as taxpayers ultimately have to fund, is going to be $20 billion a year. So, you know, in a good year, our biggest taxpayer, BHP, pays $20 billion a year of tax. So we are using BHP's annual taxes to pay interest on our, our public debt. Um, $20 billion would build you four Hell's Gate stands uh, if you didn't have that debt in place. So uh, I give that as an example of why we have to be fiscally responsible with our budgets to ensure that we do move towards living within our means. Uh, as businesses, as households, we can't afford just to run at a deficit and not repay debt. And on a macro scale, our economy is similar, hmm. that uh, at some point, debts need to be repaid. Yeah, well, none of us really like that reality, but it, it is in fact one. Yeah, and it's hidden from us as individuals to some degree. Uh, I, I can't actually do much about the public debt on my own. It's a national discussion. And uh, unfortunately, when we're, when we're going to the polls or when we're thinking about, uh, maybe people aren't thinking about uh, fiscal or monetary policy regularly, but uh, it keeps me awake at night from time to time just... How, how do we get on top of this and, and what can we do as a country to be realistic and live within our means? Yeah, and I know like you, you put up a, an interesting um, slide there. I think it was from, from something like 1918 when, when our, our, our national debt sort of skyrocketed and then obviously, you know, through the, through the Depression and then the Second World War, it, it wasn't until 1958 or some 40 years later that it started to get back down to a, a, a and, then, and then took sort of 20 or 30 years of, of, of pretty strudent fiscal, I guess, yeah. management to, to get through that period. Yeah, and it's easy to oversimplify these things, but mm. it does seem over the last 100 years where we have had high levels of public debt uh, the ability to repay that over time has been dependent on our export of minerals and, and more recently gas. So our mining and natural resources sector plays a huge role in our economy. And uh, so that's an important thing for people to think about as we are having the right public debate around how do we transition to a greener economy, how do we decarbonise, we still need to think about, well, how do we, how do we pay the bills domestically mm. and how do we get on top of debt? So one of the factors of being able to manage debt in the past has been strong commodity exports. And the other thing that seems to have been a common factor is long periods of strong, stable government. Uh, one of the challenges we've got with our three or four year election cycle, Ross, is that you go into government and then before long, you're already thinking about the next election. So in the past, where we've seen long governments, like the 17 years of the Menzies government, they had a lot of political capital and they were able to drive an agenda that had that long-term perspective in mind. And unfortunately, in more recent times, either within the same party or because of changes in, in parties in government, we haven't been able to develop that long-term agenda to really drive home what's good for the nation. Oh, and it, and it you know, even in more recent history, you're seeing it, you, you know, we had... Uh, we we did some sort of work at this at the start of the year in the chamber. You know, we had we had two prime ministers from from ninety three to to two thousand and seven, um, and uh, so you know that sort of 
15, 16 year block. And since then, <laughs> or if you took a couple of years off from now, we had five or six and we only voted for a couple of them. So, well, and I think um, Scott Morrison will be the first Prime Minister uh, since 2007 to run full term. Yeah, which and so. and there's no there's neither side of politics that that can that can hang their hat on the wall and say that I've done it better than anyone else. Agreed. It's and and I I think that's really important because what we're talking about here is a, is a large amount of debt and if there's dysfunction at the family table, um, you're not going to have the honest conversation about pulling back and living within your means. And and I think that house analogy and the uh, is 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 starting to shine through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So a real challenge ahead of us to make sure we have a strong economy. And perhaps our political leaders need to have confidence in the economy that it doesn't need more government stimulus, that we don't need to keep spending public money because the the businesses and the workers in Australia have now got the message and we're ready to go. Mm. Stay out of the way. Stop priming the economy. Let us now run with it, please. Yeah, and um, yeah, let us compete, and um, and that's the whole that's the whole fun of being in business. It's finding a competitive advantage. It's it's getting doing things better, more efficient, and th- and then everyone wins. The consumer wins. You win as a business, and 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 so on and so forth. Absolutely. Yeah, so I guess um, one of the one of the things we always love at the uh, the wrap up of the the breakfast is um, the the biggest winners and the uh, and the biggest losers. So, so Carl, the, the winner this year, I, I can't believe you went to your own profession, but anyway, just put that to one side for a second. But tell us tell us about the winner. Who, who is he and and or, or she and what are they up to? Well, it's hard to put that aside because if you're an accountant by trade, you're a winner naturally. And uh, if you're an accountant in Townsville, it doesn't get much better than this. So, uh, but yeah, it, in a, in an attempt at humour, yes, and uh, not necessarily always the funniest person in the room, but uh, uh, yeah, I did think. Uh, in some ways, accountants were winners this year for the reason Andrew said before. We've actually got a year in front of us with not a lot of new tax law, no superannuation changes to speak of. So we've actually got a clear runway to actually get on and help our clients in a really meaningful way, not just trying to help them through a whole bunch of tax changes. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that's nice. And uh, I, I was quite appreciative of that. But uh, I, I did talk about, uh, you know, anyone who's been in business that's going to deal with lower fuel costs can use the instant asset write-off um, potentially to, to shift from, and I use an example of shifting from petrol vehicles to electric vehicles. You know, there are some tax incentives to actually help you do that as long as you can get access to the new equipment by June 2023, which is the current timeline. So it was a bit of a shame that that wasn't extended. Yes. That would have been a nice thing to see. Um and there will be opportunities for business. Registered training organisations should get a boost out of some of these changes because uh, while I don't think it's a massive incentive, there still could be shifts in behaviour to re-channel existing training activity through an RTO to get that extra tax deduction. Mm. Um, a lot of businesses will be looking at how they can use the, the new technology-related incentives to uh, either move deeper into the digital economy or to take their first steps into the digital economy as well. Yep, okay. And um, and the loser? Uh, the, the loser, unfortunately, as has happened to you and I, Ross, is uh, <laughs> those who have spent a week at home and, and missed out on some pretty important things out in the real world. So um, there was a bit of talk about uh, the beer excise being reduced as well. So, uh, But it wasn't? It was not. Um, fuel, fuel just... Dusted us on the beer front, which I'd right. yeah. Anyway, that's probably a whole um, other podcast. It, it would be interesting if North Queensland ran the economy, whether the beer excise <laughs> would go before the fuel excise. <laughs> that's right. 
but um, oh look, anyone with complex structures that's not getting uh, good advice from their their accountant could be in a bit of trouble with the increased funding in the as we were saying the ATO tax avoidance task force. So get on top of that. There are businesses that are being affected by what's going on in Europe with um, sanctions against Russia as well. So um, bear a thought for those guys through no real uh, actions of their own. No. They're now a victim of, of decisions made uh, thousands of kilometres away on the other side of the world. Yeah. And I guess probably wouldn't it would be remiss of us not to mention some of the other the really big announcements, like infrastructure announcements obviously made um, in, you know, I guess... Uh, when we, I know when we talked to the guys in Canberra and we're advocating, you know, we, we did a lot of work on the reinsurance pool last year. It was a reinsurance pool for Northern Australia. Uh, it wasn't just for Townsville. Um, and, and I guess, you know, we've got to think holistically about this when we're talking about a federal budget. It's not a, it's not the council budget and it's definitely not a state budget. So, um, you know, massive uh, announcement uh, around water infrastructure, obviously uh, Hell's Gates Dam, also some big announcements around road infrastructure, um, some other dams further south of us as well. Defence assets here in Townsville and, and, and more personnel here. I think that's going to be a, um, you know, you can never underestimate that, you know, we get a new battalion or a new uh, a group here. Uh, everyone everyone does exceptionally well out of that. Um, some money there for Garumpa as well around water quality and, and there and also friends down at down at Ames. Um, so th there was... There was a, a lot in there for for regional Australia. I think if I can if I can use that term, uh, obviously we are regional Australia, but I, I really saw a bit of an emphasis coming through the budget yes or last night on the regions, um, and and obviously we've we're seeing that, um, and we'll probably see more of it coming up with some of these big pockets of money that they've sort of haven't told us what they're for yet. Yeah, yeah. the other thing, Ross, was the uh, the NAIF funding, so yes. the Northern Australia Infrastructure Fund. They've allocated another two billion dollars to that, so the five billion dollars that they've already got, of which they've committed about three point three billion already, uh, they've they've put another two billion dollars into that. So it'll be interesting to see whether that's been earmarked already for existing projects, um, and yeah, I assume they have. Otherwise, they wouldn't have made the commitment. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so there's the, more to come. More to come. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I sort of definitely, you know, we'd be naive to think that's that's not the not the case. But look, I mean, it's 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 great to get you guys in, and I, I think you know holistically as a region and as Townsville as Northern Australia, I think you know if you delve a little deeper, you can you can obviously find negatives, but you can also find positives as well. I know we did some media this morning, Carl, talking about um, you know the cost of living thing comes up. Well, I think. I think we win that uh, in an Australian context. Um, cost of living up here, if you're listening from down south, um, check out a four-bedroom, two-bathroom home near the beach up here. Absolutely. And uh, I'd much rather be talking about how do we help those who, who need a bit of a handout while the cost of living is running high than how to find jobs for millions of people out of work. I, I think we're uh, blessed with really good economic circumstances, uh, particularly particularly in the regions. Uh, if we look back over the last five years, uh, Townsville and North Queensland has done exceptionally well from federal government expenditure in our region or plans for that sort of expenditure. And uh, somewhat maligned, the Townsville Stadium, the Queensland Country Bank Stadium, could actually be seen as the start of that process. Mm -hmm. um, yes, we got a stadium, but look at everything else that's been happening since then more expenditure on Bruce Highway upgrades, um, the announcement about Hellsgate Dam, 
the copper string project getting really close, the Singapore field training area at Greenvale. There are so many major projects that have been announced over the last five years that aren't going to just happen now. They're going to happen over the next five to 10 years, giving us a pipeline of lots of expenditure coming to our region that we should all be really excited about. And uh, the day that the folks in Sydney and Melbourne wake up and realise <laughs> Townsville is here, Charters Towers is here, the Burdekin, we are here, we are ready, and there's plenty of opportunities. So look north, young people. Yep. Uh, yep. It's not about going west anymore. It's look north and uh, come join us in beautiful North Queensland. Yeah, no, and I I couldn't agree more, Carl. And I, I look, I guess to close today too, um, in, in your breakfast this morning, um, there was a there was a brilliant gesture you, you did there because I mean you know as a as a community um, you know we're we're only as strong as 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 our weakest people or or we're um, or you know the old saying about how it takes a community to raise a child uh, pretty moving um, presentation from the guys and I know you've come on as a, a major or PVW partners come on as a major corporate partners for the fuel for schools. Um, I think I'm going to have to do a podcast with them now after their inspirational talk this wonderful. morning. But but please tell us a little bit about you, you know the the guys there this morning. Yeah, so fuel for schools is all about how do you provide kids with the basic sustenance they need to get through a school day, or school materials so they can actually engage wholesomely in their education. Uh, PVW is a family, and uh, a lot of us have children who are at school. And we are all quite fortunate to be able to send our kids to school with a packed lunch after they've had breakfast in the morning and they've got a pencil case full of pencils and paper to write on and all those sorts of things that maybe we take for granted. But there's many in our community who don't have access to breakfast, lunches and school supplies. So what a wonderful charity, filling a really important need in our community. And a uh, big shout out to the folks behind Fuel for Schools. They truly are regional Australians doing their bit to grow regional Australia. So proud to be associated with them and looking forward to doing more with Fuel for Schools. Yeah, Patty and Paul are just such inspirational people. And, you know, I've known them for many years, but, um, you know, some of the statistics that they've done since 2015, and I know, uh, you know, there doesn't seem a day go by where we where we don't see something about them. But I, I, I was so inspired by it because it was, they're not asking for a handout. They're not asking for a grant. They're not asking for... They, they've just seen a problem and they've said, this is unacceptable in my community. If a kid hasn't got a Vegemite sandwich in the morning to... Mm -hmm. to and, and I know that was pretty inspiring. The wheelie bins out the front this morning, all those boxes of cereal and, and uh, a, a quick chat to one of the guys this morning. They're like, oh, one of the schools we get... They don't, they don't like wheat bix anymore. They only like neutral grain. And I'm like, well, that's <laughs> fantastic because that's, that's kids giving quality feedback. And uh, it, was, it was really inspiring to talk to the guys this morning or hear from them anyway. So well done, guys, on on getting them involved and, and getting them in front of 300 or 250 people this morning. Oh, and thanks, Ross. And it's not just PVW. No, partners. of course. There are so many businesses around town now supporting them, Yep. along with a huge range of other local charities and not-for-profits. So uh, important we do our bit, but we are just one player in a, a very giving community who really cares about this region. Yeah, no, really special, probably good way to end. But Andrew, anything uh, closing from you, mate? Is there any sort of bit of gold dust you want to give us or you're you reasonably happy? No, I think we're reasonably happy. I yep. think the, the positive to come out of the uh, the budget last night was just the, the fact that the economy is so strong. Yeah. And and that positivity is showing through the, uh, the business confidence survey that we've recently had. So it's not just the politicians talking it up. I think we're seeing it at a local level as well. So, so that's great. 
Fantastic. All right, guys, I know you've had a massive night last night and a massive morning this morning and, and you're coming in to record this with me now. So really appreciate it. And um, and we'll get this out to the to the business community at, and more broadly over the next couple of days and, and hopefully they'll enjoy it too. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ross. Thanks, Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Townsville Chambercast. Remember to subscribe so you're the first to know when new episodes are released.